Welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And we got a great show lined up. Obviously, a quiet time in the SEC. So, reached out to an old friend, Jesse Simonton. He's covered Tennessee, Georgia, Florida. He's been all over the SEC beat for years and years. Now, he works as an SEC insider columnist over at On3 Sports, a website that uh, I cannot recommend enough. If On3 is not on your radar already, it will be soon enough with the upcoming college football season. Cannot wait. They post content daily. All kinds of uh, college football recruiting and inside. Ivan Mazel works over there. Chad Simmons, recruiting insider. A lot of good people over at On3 Sports. So check out all the work they're doing over there. But before we kick it over, to our interview with Jesse Simonton coming out of the spring meetings. He was down in Destin. Give us uh, some insight into what he learned down there and his impressions of some of the new coaches down there. But before we get to that, not a ton going on in the SEC. And saw this little list here from uh, Braden Gall. I'll throw it up here on YouTube with some of the rivalries that uh, he does not want to see gone in the SEC most of these I think he's dead on here I don't have an issue with well I really don't have an issue so to speak with any of these but here's the list the Iron Bowl of course Texas Oklahoma Texas Texas A&M Florida Georgia the Egg Bowl Texas A&M LSU found out quickly how damn important that is to Aggie fans this offseason Georgia Auburn and then here's the one that I'm not 100% on the same page with Braden. Tennessee, Florida. I know a lot of Tennessee fans love that game. It's usually your first conference loss of the season, but uh, <laughs> I don't even know if that ranks in the top three or four of Florida rivalries right now. With Of course, Georgia's got to be at the top of that list. Florida State, LSU, Miami. Hell, I would even argue Kentucky is a bigger rival to the Florida Gators than uh, Tennessee Vols at this point in time. So, you know, I kind of made some statements. I think Alabama, Tennessee, you got to do what you can to keep that game. And a lot of Tennessee fans don't think that Alabama even considers that a rivalry. Hell, every third Saturday in October, I see that entire stadium lighting up those cigars. You're seeing coaches, you're seeing players, you're seeing alumni all lighting up those cigars. I know East Tennessee, they got them lined up for the day they end that 14-year streak, which may be coming sooner rather than later. But a lot of Alabama people tuned in here. They really do think that Tennessee still, even though the game's not always that competitive and, and far more often than not, it's it's not been competitive since Nick Saban's been there. But still a rivalry, in my opinion. Kind of curious to hear everyone's uh, thoughts on that. And I say all that. And then we had all the Paul Feinbaum show. I'll throw this up here. Another friend of the show, Matt Hayes, Saturday down south and uh, 10XLXL there out of Jacksonville. He predicted Tennessee will upset either Alabama October 15th in Neyland Stadium or Georgia November 9th on the road. Ooh, boy, that's how you make it a rivalry. You got to win these football games. So uh, pretty interesting. Hopefully... We're going to have the Tennessee Homer back on the show real quick to uh, get his thoughts on that. I 
I don't really want to go on a deep dive without Cousin Shane. So we'll tackle that hopefully on the next episode of the show. I've actually got a, a number of other great guests lined up throughout the week. So be on the lookout for those. But now let's kick it over to our interview. Really outstanding stuff here with Jesse Simonton of On3 Sports. All right, we're pleased to be joined once again by Jesse Simonton. Fans all across the SEC know Jesse. Give him a follow at Jesse R.E. Simonton. He's covered a number of teams across the SEC, and now he covers the entire conference for On3.com. Jesse, thank you so much for joining me once again. Absolutely. Thanks for having me back, Michael. Good to be back with Mr. SEC Mike. <laughs> hey, I appreciate that, Jesse. And uh, I know you were down on location at, in Destin for the spring meetings. That's why I wanted to have you on. But before we get to that, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what is your role going to be at On3 and you know what you'll be tackling this fall uh, covering the nation's best college football conference? Yeah, I'm just kind of, uh, you know, thankful, thankful for the opportunity. Shannon Terry and, and, and Jamie Oaks and, and Luke and a bunch of those guys behind the scenes at On3. Um, we're kind of looking for someone to kind of, uh, you know, have, an, have some opinions and some analysis and, and cover the SEC writ large. And so that's, that's what I've been tabbed to do. And so I'm going to write columns and, you know, offer commentary. And, and ultimately we're going to do some video and podcast stuff here down the line um, as well. So obviously it's the most exciting sport to me in college. That is college football and, and covering you know, the best conference, um, couldn't ask for anything more. So it should be a hell of a 2022 season. There's just storylines galore. Um, I've jumped into a, a bunch of stuff, written a bunch of different pieces, columns, and what have you already the first kind of two months on the gig. And, and obviously this past week at, at, at the spring meetings were uh, busy, uh, to say the least. Mm -hmm. Now, and speaking of the spring meetings, of course, uh, you know, the eight or the nine game SEC schedule, that was a hot topic intra-conference transfers. I know that is something that you tackled. But aside from those two key issues, anything else that you kind of learned or took away from, uh, you know, just, just from all the interactions you had down there at the spring meetings? Yeah, I mean, those in terms of, like, the actual um, storylines, I guess, were, were probably the most interesting. Obviously, also the NIL um, can't overlook that just because of, you know, the different branches that it had with the Jimbo-Nick feud, but also just kind of, you know, where where this whole thing is going. But I think just being on the ground um, back in Destin for the first time in several years, obviously they hadn't held um, in-person spring meetings since COVID. It was just good to kind of, you know, frankly be and get some FaceTime with so many coaches, you know, both, you know, kind of on and off the record and, you know, over to the side and even just kind of mingling and, and – I, I think uh, those connections and that kind of interaction is, is extremely valuable. And so, you know, there was lots of guys there who, yeah, they'd been in the league for a year, the Shane Beamers, um, you know, and, and the Clark Lees uh, of the world, Brian Harson, but this was their kind of first time in that environment. Um, and then seeing the, the new guys and, and kind of, you know, getting to meet Billy Napier and kind of size him up and getting to meet, uh, just, you know, some, some unique personalities that are, are, are obviously going to be big names, big faces in this league for years to come. Now, I already know the answer to this question because I follow you at Jesse R.E. Simonton, but the great 
SEC schedule debate, eight or nine games. Tell the audience why you're a big proponent of the nine-game schedule, as you should rightfully be, Jesse. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you and I land on the same same side of the coin on this one. I, I just I've been using the word poison pill. I think the fact that Greg Sankey has basically come down to the fact that it, it's a, a one seven or the eight game model versus the three six the nine game model. To me, that, that just means there's really only one model. Um, you know, again, being on the ground there in Destin, there was a lot of momentum. I think by that Tuesday evening, that three six, uh, that that three permanent. Um, three permanent rivals, six rotating games, that that was generating a lot of momentum. And then you had the Kentuckys and the Arkansas's kind of lock arms and some other schools, whether it's Ole Miss, South Carolina, um, so on, you know, kind of have some trepidation about um, maybe diving into a nine-game conference slate. I just, when you break it down, the, the, the I, again, we both agree. The one eight, the one seven model makes no sense. You don't invite Texas into the league and not have them play Texas A&M every year. I know they haven't played for a decade, but there's a reason why they want to reignite that rivalry. You don't eliminate the South's oldest rivalry uh, in Georgia Auburn. You don't get rid of Tennessee Alabama. I don't. It doesn't really matter to me how many times the Tide have beaten the Vols in the last 15 years. Um, that's still a game that both fan bases. Uh, really enjoy and yeah there's a reason why Alabama keeps lighting up these cigars after they beat Tennessee because that game does mean something um to the Crimson Tide and so preserving as many of those great games as possible and then giving yourself more good games on the schedule where okay Oklahoma is now in the conference you can allow them to continue their rivalry with Texas you can reignite the rivalries with either Oak, with either Missouri, excuse me, or, or Arkansas, and then give them, um, you know, a, a team X, whether it's Florida or somebody else, and then you have Oklahoma play in Georgia every couple of years. You have, it's just, I just think the nine game schedule makes too much sense. The one seven one, honestly, I, I've again, I called it a poison pill because I think ultimately they don't want to go down that road. I get why the Kentuckys and in the Mississippi states have concerns about playing that many conference games plus being forced to play a power five game. I think ultimately more negotiating happens. They get rid of that rule where you have to play another power five team. So if Florida state and Florida still want to play awesome. Same for Georgia, Georgia tech, Clemson, South Carolina. Um, But Arkansas doesn't have to schedule another team. Mississippi state doesn't have to schedule another team. And so you can still get your, you know, extra couple wins to help preserve bowl eligibility but then we can, you know, move forward as a conference with a nine-game schedule. Yeah, and it's been reported that, uh, you know, maybe they, they don't want to vote just yet because they don't know the future of the playoff and if that's going to expand and all that. And um, I think there's one other issue, maybe the TV contracts. But looking beyond those two points, because I, I – I do think the playoff – I do think the playoff thing is at least marginally a a reason why they decided not to vote. I Not to inter, interject and – uh, either, I, and I only say that because Nick Saban did not say that explicitly, but we both know that Nick is, is someone that has very much been a proponent for a nine-game schedule for more than a decade now. But he did make it known that he wants to play nine, but he does want it to be equitable with like the rest of college football. And that is, in so many words, saying, okay, if we don't really know where the playoffs going, I want to make sure if we play nine – that the Big 12 is still going to play nine, that the Big 10 intends to play nine. We'll see how the, you know, the ACC contract with, with their deal 
ultimately happens. But I think Nick is good with the nine so long as everybody else keeps doing that as well. So sorry to interrupt you there. Yeah, no worries. So, I mean, that kind of goes with what I was going to ask you, though. But, you know, moving aside from the playoff, moving aside from, you know, any hiccups potentially in the new contract, because that was negotiated before the nine game, obviously. And I believe it was negotiated before Texas and Oklahoma came into the league. Uh, any concern that uh, moving from an eight to a nine game is going to lead to a lot more injuries, which is just going to, you know, Alabama and Georgia, they've been dominant for a reason. They got the best players. And if there's more injuries across the SEC, I think it's safe to say the teams with the best depth are going to be able to handle that, obviously, a lot better than some of the others. And, you know, maybe kind of the same type of question, but if you if you go to nine, you potentially risk losing – some late season ranked matchups because there may be a lot of five and four SEC teams, four and five SEC type teams. And, and then at the tail end of the season, when you need, you know, a, a win over a, uh, you know, a, a top 20 Auburn or a top 15 Arkansas to boost your playoff profile, that may not, that may be tougher to come by in a nine game conference schedule. What do you, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, the, the the latter one is a good point. Um, that's honestly something that I haven't spent a whole lot of time thinking about. I do think that there's going to be that middle, um, but there kind of already is that, you know. I mean, the SEC already kind of gets a little bit of the benefit in some of the rankings, and so, yes, some of those teams eventually fall out, but you'll also see them, you know, I mean, Tennessee was 7-6 and six last year, and they, they were still, and I think they had a hell of a season, but they still – we're kind of flirting with that top 25 status, you know, towards the end of the year, even though they had, a, you know, several losses on their um, resume. As for the injury thing, I do think that if the nine-game schedule is adopted, you're going to see some rule changes that maybe shorten the games a little bit. Kirby Smart's been kind of at the forefront. He was on, you know, one of those committees. Um, he's proposed or at least teased several ideas um, and I'm not saying this is something that's definitely going to come to fruition, but like one way that you could protect the players um, and maybe at, while you're technically adding an extra conference game, maybe shorten, um, you know, some of that exposure is maybe you have a running clock even after incompletions until the two minute warning, you know, just simple things like that um, where, where that would alleviate some of those depth concerns for your Vanderbilts um, and some of those teams. Now, another thing that you really – yeah, I, I got to hand it to you, Jesse. You, I believe you asked every damn coach down there about the intra-conference transfer rule. So, uh, for those that don't know, if you are if you play in the SEC already, you got to be in the transfer portal by February 1. If you want to remain, you're eligible to, to play in the following season and transfer. That deadline is May 1 for the rest of the NCA. So, that was an issue there at De Destin. Uh, you know, what, what's your sense of uh, – the SEC and and do you think they they end up moving that or or do you think they're going to keep it at the February one date? Well, you know the fact they didn't vote on it, I think, kind of uh, confirms where I believe the wind you know was kind of blowing when I left Destin, which is Alabama and, and Nick Saban may have sponsored that proposal to move it back to a universal you know May one date, um, but the rest of the conference seems pretty darn. Uh, content on keeping it where it is. You know, Nick and Kirby are in agreement on most things, but Georgia is one of the proponents of, of they like that February 1 date. And then just kind of 
rattle off the rest of the list. I mean, Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin told me, you know, why he thought it was a good idea. He even doubled down that and gave me the information that, oh, and some other coaches, you know, who may or may not be named, that, that they think that, uh, you know, basically the exposure of these spring games, guys will just be puddle jumping afterwards if, if they gave that rule up. And so they would just cancel their spring game if they didn't have uh, the, the February one date anymore. I don't think that's going to happen. That's a little hyperbolic, but it just shows you where the mindset is for some of these coaches. Shane Beamer was in agreement. Let's keep it. Jimbo told me, let's keep it. Florida, which sponsored the, 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 the February one rule in the first place, Billy Napier um, wants to keep it. And so, and again, I, I think you can make, um arguments for both sides but i understand why these coaches want to protect that one transfer window because it does allow guys to go ahead all right make the decision before the spring um and and then so if you want to go to if you want to leave georgia and, and go to south carolina like lavasa Carroll did or, or all these guys that left arkansas and went to lsu and vice versa or jermaine burton took to alabama do that before the February 1 deadline. If you want to participate with us in spring practice, go through it just fine. But then if you, you know, want to transfer, um, you're welcome to leave, but you just can't leave within the conference, you know, um, after that May 1 date. And the irony is, is that while the SEC had this proposal on the books to move the deadline forward to the rest of the NCAA, you have all these other conferences the previous weeks, the ACC, the Big 12, Pac-12 leaders, they're all flirting with the idea of adopting the SEC policy, whereas they don't want their guys transferring from Oklahoma State to Baylor um, or, you know, California to USC, so on and so forth. So they, many of these conferences are discussing the idea of adopting that same February 1 deadline. So I think the, the more firm these transfer portal windows are, um, the more it makes sense for these college coaches. Again, I understand the arguments on both sides, but for these college coaches, these firm kind of hard deadlines make more sense. Mm -hmm. Now, the only other thing there in Destin was a huge talking point going into it, Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher. I don't know about you, Jesse, but I was basically tired of talking about it leading up to it, and, and there was no fireworks as expected, at least from me. But let me ask it to you this way. Yeah, I... I don't certainly don't think Jimbo Fisher's on any kind of hot seat, but I think he did himself a big favor with his fan base getting on Nick Saban, defending his program, because coming off a, a really disappointing season, he's probably more popular than he's ever been. Uh, how you know? Do you agree with that? Yes or no? And, and what do you make of the Aggies heading into this season? I, I wholeheartedly agree with you that he has you know um, he has engendered lots of goodwill with the way he's kind of um, been the coach that, that, that's been willing to kind of swing back um, at Nick. Now, we can laugh at the fact that, you know, he called Saban a narcissist, and then he said that in the very press conference that he held when he could have just released a statement or, you know, uh, basically denied said accusations from Nick. So the fact that he held his own grandstanding performance and, and – you know, called another man a narcissist is hilarious. Um, and there's been plenty of laughs and, and good jokes to take out of this entire uh, couple weeks of back and forth. But I think you're right. He has um, probably, you know, escaped maybe not criticism, but escaped a little bit of 
Uh, well, I mean, Jimbo, you haven't won the 10 games yet um, because he did beat Alabama last year, and then he, you know, followed that up with this historic recruiting class, which he is so vehemently defended um, from the NIL accusations. I think that A&M set up for a fascinating season because these five-star recruits, the majority of them are not going to be ready um, to compete to help on day one. Some will, uh, but I think really it's going to be some guys they signed a year ago, Stewart, uh, some of the, these other defensive linemen that I think are going to be in position to kind of uh, take a leap forward, their sophomore surges. So it's going to be about the quarterback. You know, who, who do they choose there? Do they go with Max Johnson? Do, you know, do they go back? Jimbo's been a guy who, who's really seen something in Haynes King. So do, do, they, do they lean that way? Uh, what about the freshman in Wegman? So I still think they're a year away which makes it even more interesting that, you know, Jimbo has been so ardent about, you know, pushing A&M forward because they're probably going to be a tad overranked as maybe the fifth or sixth team in the country because I'm not sure they're quite that good because I think they do have some youth on both sides of the ball. So could be a year away, and if they do stumble a couple more times, if they lose to a Mississippi State again, uh, or, or they, you know, they don't beat Bama, which few expect on October 8th, and then have another – you know, what maybe Auburn catches them or something like that. Suddenly, Jimbo's definitely not going to be on the hot seat, not with that contract. But I, I think that he may feel the heat because of what the expectations will be coming off, you know, an offseason where he's puffed his chest so loudly uh, and, and the expectation that, oh, the Aggies, Georgia just got it. That means Texas A&M and their 70-some-odd-year national championship um, drought. They're the next team up. Mm-hmm. All right, Jesse, I really appreciate all your time. One last question for you. you now, everybody and their mother is going to be picking Alabama to win the West. They're going to be picking Georgia to win the East. And I, and I understand those predictions. But if you had to pick one dark horse from each division, you know, to put together a, a miracle-type season, maybe a player or two emerges and, you know, throw – it could be the schedule, could be the town on the roster, whatever. But one team from each division – that uh, poses the biggest threat to uh, Alabama and Georgia this, this fall? Well, I'm on record as saying I think Tennessee is going to finish second, but I don't think – I think they're – honestly, I think their floor and ceiling are fairly defined. Um, so if you're positing it as a miracle season, then I would say based on the schedule, if Kentucky has a miracle season, maybe they're the team that could push Georgia in the east. I do think the Bulldogs are just so much better – um, than any team in the SEC East, uh, that I would be very surprised if that happens. But with Will Levis, if he makes a jump, stops turning the ball over, if an offensive line that's replacing a bunch of bodies um, kind of coalesces, I love you know some of those defensive line recruits that are now kind of going into their junior season. They should be ready to make a leap. So the pieces are there in Lexington. Stoops is obviously one of the better coaches, not only in the conference but the country, that if they did have this dream dreamlike year perhaps they could be the one I think the West is trickier honestly I mean I know that you 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 love Sam Pittman I'm really high on Arkansas too um but I'm gonna go massive wild card again if we're talking dream season few team few people are talking about this team to me it's not A&M because I don't think that's a dream season at least you know they they're expected to be number two what about LSU? I don't know where you stand on LSU, but I think that they probably have as wide a variance of any team in the entire SEC this year. I could see them finishing number two 
and being a team that's like, oh, that's who it's going to be in 2023, you know, the, the next team up, because there is some really talented youth on that roster. I think the defensive line is going to be one of the best in the country. But there are so many question marks. Offensive line, can they find a running game? What about quarterback? That they could finish as high as second in the West, or they could finish last. So if I'm talking dream season, highest ceiling versus lowest floor, I, let, let me see what Brian Kelly's Tigers do. He's won everywhere he's been. I don't expect this to happen. This is obviously a, a wild, wild scenario. But if you're taking taking any team in terms of highest ceiling, give me LSU. Yeah, I'm right there with you. No idea what to expect from them, Florida, or Ole Miss. But that's why this fall is going to be so much fun. Really outstanding stuff from you, Jesse. Jesse R.E. Simonton. Check out all his work on 3.com. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I really appreciate this, Jesse. Absolutely. Appreciate you having me on, Michael. Good to catch up. All right, so just want to say thanks to Jesse once again for joining the show. Give him a follow at Jesse R.E. Simonton. You can find that in the show notes of this podcast. Really appreciate the insight from Jesse down there in Destin. And hopefully uh, we'll get some more insight from insiders that were on location for the SEC spring meetings. But, hey, we're trying to keep pushing out the content next couple of weeks. I know we just had the spring meetings. We got SEC media days coming up. Uh, you know, there's going to be some dark times on the college football calendar with just not a lot to talk about. So I'm going to try, do my best to line up outstanding interviews like we're doing here, kind of come up with some show ideas. But uh, we're going to keep trying to make this a daily occurrence as long as we can. But uh, we may miss a day here or there. So just wanted to make note of that. But as always, if you made it this far, if you wouldn't mind giving us that five-star written review on the Apple Podcast app, and now you can give us a review on Spotify if you're not an Apple user. We, we appreciate each and every one of those. And it really does help the show grow. Really trying to push all those rankings. Don't forget YouTube. If you haven't checked out by now, I don't know what the hell you're doing with your life. Give us a, a follow and like our content on YouTube. And you do any of those, we'll send you a beer koozie free of charge. Just reach out to us at thatsecpodcast at gmail.com. And we're happy to to send you a beer koozie representing your SEC team. We got all 14 koozies ready to go to be mailed out to you. But that's going to do it for this episode of the show. We'll catch you on the next one.